Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to read this time from verses 15 through 28. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 15 through 28. The horse leech has two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things say not, it is enough. The grave and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother. The ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth, and saith, I have done no wickedness. For three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. For a servant when it reigneth, when he reigneth, and a fool when he is filled with meat or food. For an odious woman someone who's hated, when she is married, and a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. The conies, and you may have badgers or hyraxes there, they're a feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. The spider, and some people's Bibles will say lizard, but I'll get to that. The spider taketh hold with her hands and is, and is in king's palaces. And we're going to stop our reading there. It's quite a mouthful. We're continuing our thoughts on biblical worldview in Proverbs chapter 30. As I've stated before, this is not a complete construction of a biblical worldview. That would be quite a project in itself, and we recommend the Truth Project if you uh, want to get into that. But our study is only helping to lay a foundation and give support to the full set of values that constitute a Christian philosophy of life. Now, I call these vignettes, these little sections, these little portions. And you notice a little pattern here. It has something to do with Hebrew form and poetry, I suppose. There are three things, yea, four. And uh, you'll see things like that in, in, uh, once in a while in other parts of the Proverbs. But we're just going to tackle these little short sections and let them speak to us about a particular kind of value or concern, a, a, a teaching or a perspective that we need. So in verses 15 through 17, we deal with the, the dangerous world of discontentment and greed. And we start with this matter of a, of a leech. 
having two daughters, which is a poetic way of describing two fangs. And they dig in and they say, give, give. And in other words, they're bloodsuckers. Okay? Our view of the world must comprehend the dangers of excessiveness, discontentment, and greed. Now, this can be either ours or others in the world. Either way, we can be greatly troubled by this characteristic. Lack of self-control, which is ours or somebody else's, can ruin us. <laughs> I remember a tick one time, and uh, it had latched on to one of my dogs when I was a boy, and it just wouldn't stop. And it went to the point it couldn't function. It, it, it was enormous. Suck blood, suck blood, suck blood. Just couldn't stop. And um, anyways... Our lack of self-control or the lack of self-control in other people can be a very dangerous situation and can cause ruin. So Augur uses the example of the leech and its two fangs. And unless it's removed, it, it could potentially suck its victim dry. But um, J. Vernon McGee, he had a, his own way of saying things. And he, he described the reins on a horse. you got two of them. And if you don't know how to pull back, you'll have a runaway horse. If you've ever watched any dramatic movies, or maybe you've been a horse person or around them, uh, a runaway horse can be a very dangerous thing. So Jude 1.4 tells us that some would take the gospel and turn it into a license to sensual sin, immorality. The King James Version in, in Jude 1.4 uh, uses the word lasciviousness, and that means unrestrained lust. Just can't control that desire. And it can have terrible, terrible consequences. But now, on the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit, among many other things listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, is temperance or self-control. <coughs> There's this interesting place in Psalm 32. And God says, I, I want to direct you with my eye. And, and some of you are... You've been around long enough, you'll probably remember this, but a, a man who had servants and he's serving dinner to guests, he doesn't yell, hey, Sam, get over here and bring us some more meat. You know, the, he would look at a servant who was standing there waiting, and he would just go like this. You know, just raise his eyebrows, go like this, and they would come. It was all quiet and smooth. God says, I want you to be like that, waiting for me, paying attention to me. Oh, I don't have to... I don't have to clap thunder. I can just say, come, do this. We, we knew of a choir director. I shouldn't say we. I don't know Sue knew about this. But choir director <coughs> led their choir without hands. They used their face. And the way they looked and the raised their eyebrows, I would have a hard time not laughing. That just seems comical to me. But to lead a whole choir, and the choir is so trained, so focused. They just watched their face and knew what to do. God wants us to be something like that. And, and he goes on to say in Psalm 32, don't be like a horse or a mule that has to have a bit put in their mouth and yank around like this. God doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to be quick and sensitive. So, control. Attentiveness to God. Awareness of our tendency to excesses. Our appetites our emotions and some things like that. But the world 
if we let them, would try to suck us dry. Everybody wants you to buy something from them, vote for them, do something. And everybody wants a a piece of you, as they say. Now, (coughs) that leads the stage set for verse 17. We noted earlier that these seemingly random references to parent-child relationship just pop up. Well, I want to look at it in its context. Let me read verse 17 again. Well, excuse me, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. I haven't talked about verse 16. Okay, four things that never stop demanding more. These are illustrations. Doesn't mean they in themselves are bad things. It's just they illustrate what's going on in, in greater ways in this world, particularly in society. The grave which represents death, the barren womb, the dry earth, and fire. Okay, the grave and death. Now, again, J. Vernon McGee had a very pithy saying here. He said, um, life is like one big funeral procession, and earth is a giant cemetery. What a cheerful thought. (laughs) Ever since Cain and Abel, it's being die. Die, die, die. They didn't invent taxes till later. So when they tell you only two things are sure is death and taxes, taxes was late coming compared to this. No way around it. We have an appointment with death. Unless Jesus says, come up hither, that would be exceptional. But otherwise, we all die. The barren womb. In the biblical times, in ancient times, in the Eastern culture, perhaps especially, A woman that couldn't have children, that that was a reproach. She felt terrible. She felt unfulfilled. She felt like she failed. Now, we're not saying that's a correct feeling to have, but the desire for children was great and and even brought sadness to a man. He wanted to have a posterity. He wanted to have children. And so there was all this sadness and desire and, and so forth. And some of our stories in the Bible tell us of really bad things that people did desperately wanting to have children. And isn't it just such an ironic shame? That today, people will spend large amounts of money to make sure they don't have children. To empty their wombs if they accidentally get filled. Now, we shouldn't call it an accident. Just unwanted. Unprepared. And, And what a sad world we live in where today people are fighting and suing and almost ready to kill over the subject of their right to kill their children in the womb. It brings grief. Children are the heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. I'll I'll stop. But we also have the dry earth. And maybe you have a picture of some Western movie. A guy's caught in the desert and he's out of water. And the ground's all cracked. And little pieces of the cracked earth are peeling up into little, oh, not quite cups. But they're, they're just curling up and... And, you know, the earth won't say, well, you know, I had lots of rain a month ago. That's great. I'll just, I'll be fine. No, the earth says, I'm dry again. I'm dry again. The rain before wasn't going to help me now. And, and so it is with the fire. You build a fire, you throw wood into it. The fire doesn't say, well, thanks for all your hard work and you did a good job splitting. I'll just burn the rest of the night for you. Just sit down, relax. Don't bother throwing any more wood in the flames. No, no, fire says more. More. As if to say, you give me more or I quit. Now these, 
in themselves. It's not an evil thing that a fire would do that or that soil would do that. But they're portraying things in life that you can spend the rest of your life imagining and contemplating, meditating with these endless cycles. Kind of sound like Ecclesiastes if you read that first chapter. Endless cycles going round and round and round. Repetitive, steady demand in life. Those things never just go away. I was shoveling snow professionally for a while and friend of mine came up while I was shoveling these sidewalks and he says, if you'd done a better job the first time, you wouldn't be having to redo it, would you? And, and uh, dishes. Wash them ever so good. Just try to have another meal and you're back where you started again. And we have to settle ourselves about this. We have to pace ourselves. We need the patience again, another fruit of the Spirit. Now I get to verse 17. I got a little too excited here, but the eye that mocks at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Oh, again, not very pleasant. But they're trying to tell us, and, and we've dealt with this before because we, we had another one earlier and we've had a whole session on fathers and mothers and family relationships. But, but this, this, this tells me that in light of the previous verses, we are to consider what a taxation on parents and on all of society when there are incorrigible, I mean, you can't control them, you can't train them, ungrateful children, especially when they get older. You know, our prisons are filled with kids that didn't have parents that could teach them. Now, that's a blanket statement. sounds very unfair because many single parents have tried to do their very best, but that's a hard job. But there's, there's people that have deserted their families. There's people that don't pay attention to them. There's people that pamper them. And all these things that are going on today, there's, there's such a movement against biblical discipline and training of children. And guess what? We have lots of prisons to build because of it. We have lots of crime because of it. Because children didn't get respect, the fear of the Lord, and things like that in their younger years. And the burden, the sorrow, the sadness that they cause in parents, and, and the grief and the burden to society... Again, it was put there for a reason. It looks random. It was put there for a reason. Because children are to be a steady flow coming into our world. Generation after generation. As people exit, others are coming in. And we better feed the fire. We better water the soil. We better you know, see to it that we're maintaining the steady demand. Because it's a great responsibility to have a child. One that you just can't flush away. Okay, I must move on to another vignette. And it's the beautiful, powerful, but dangerous world of mysterious things. I read verses 18 and 19. There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the sea, in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid, which can also be translated virgin. Okay, 
I remember years ago, first time I ever heard a young preacher, I was young too, but they preached on this. And he went on about the eagles, you know, how they soar and how marvelous it is to see them. And, and ships, how they move in the water, how great that is. And everything was great, great, great. And then came along verse 19. Verse 19 says, so, which means it is directly connected here. Such, I mean, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and she says, I have not done no wickedness. Now, I've got some portions you can refresh yourself with. Proverbs 5, 1 through 6, Proverbs 9, 13 through 18. You'll find out these women are charming. They're beautiful, but they're dangerous. They're unfaithful. They're sneaky. Matter of fact, the one phrase there in the Proverbs, their ways are movable that you can't know them. Now, this is not nice. So let's go back and look at those other items again in light of this. Our, our view of the world may not be able to comprehend all things. Therefore, we must be cautious and discerning. So, let's look at this a little bit differently. Consider the mystery of an eagle from the perspective of a rabbit or a fish. Yeah, they're up there soaring. They can go so high that the, their victim can't even perceive they're there. And they can come crashing and swooping down and pluck a fish out of the water. I've seen that. That's wow. You know, and, and uh, uh, how they can, can snatch animals. And, you know, I was, I was told once of two fishermen were out on a lake and suddenly an enormous splash. And as the duck splashed and was under for a moment, this eagle was going supersonic and just came over the top of the water and flew away. And this duck came up out of the water, just, rack, rack, you know, all dizzy. Just, you know, the, the tension of water coming at a high speed. I mean, that's like hitting cement. Anyways, that duck was all wiped out. But he suddenly was enjoying his flight up in the sky and realized two talons are coming after him. So it depends on who you are. Um, how about that stealthful snake sliding and slipping through rocks? Hey, I get it if you think snakes are beautiful. I'm not a great reptile lover myself. But um, I can understand their beauty and their grace and their speed. And if you ever try to catch a snake, you know they can go sideways in all kinds of ways and, and, and all that. But just picture being a mouse. This, this description of this snake. Yes, it's mysterious, but it's also deadly. And, and by the way, watch your own ankles when you're out walking in rocky places. Well, then there's, there's those ships. How marvelous as they slip through the waters. You know, and, and you can look at sailing, or you can just take a canoe or a kayak, or you can look at big ocean liners and those pleasure cruise ships and how they just go through storms. and just that, That's all marvelous. But think about a time of war. And suddenly emerging out of the fog is an enemy ship. And, and I'll, I'll go ahead of, our, of their times. And how about that submarine that pops up and takes a peek? And what about pirates? Piracy. Yeah, these sleek, swift, marvelous ships are potentially deadly also. And then the way of a man with a maid. Now, if I try to tactfully 
Imagine a married man with his wife, and I can say that's beautiful, that's lovely. You know, I'm not trying to get graphic about it, but, but when we go to a wedding, we think it's beautiful. And they're going to come together and be one. And what, what a marvelous time. And we perhaps think back on experiences of our own. But, but th- this, this could be an immoral but very charming man having his way with a young woman. Virgin or no, but it's not his wife. And all of a sudden we realize all that charm and all that finesse and, and all that power and energy and testosterone uh, can cause a lot of terrible harm and disgrace. So we have wonderful, powerful, mysterious forces at work in the world. But since the fall of Lucifer and the fall of man, these things can be a source of blessing or curse. The sin is the misuse of legitimate things that God has created. And when these things are used selfishly, greedily, or ignorantly, cause much confusion, havoc, destruction... The world is full of attractive, powerful, and subtle danger. Pray for God's wisdom, discernment, and protection. Now we come to the disturbing and disrupted world as portrayed in Proverbs 30, 20 through 23. Our our view of the world must see that it is full of inequity. Now, I put that in bold, the word inequity, because it's not iniquity that I'm saying. Yes, the world is full of iniquity, sin. Transgression, ignoring God's word, defying God's word, disobeying God's word. But inequity, that word means things aren't the way they should be. Things are not quite right. In other words, life isn't fair. Let's read those verses. 21. For three things the earth is disquieted, and four... And for four, which it cannot bear. For a servant when he reigns, and a fool when he is filled with food. For an odious, and that means a woman that is hated when she is married. And a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. Now, I don't want to be mean, but there are some things that just isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, that, That first one. The servant. He's supposed to be a servant, and the king is supposed to have a son, or the master is supposed to have a son, inherit the estate, and once in a while something happens. Abraham had it happen, uh, or almost happen, I should say. He had a really great servant, Eleazar, and he was about to become heir of his estate because he had no children. Well, God did take care of that. Um, perhaps we can use Jeroboam as an example. You could read 1 Kings chapters 11 through 14. Uh, he was, Jeroboam was a servant of Solomon, and God was going to punish Solomon for his sin. Uh, he said, I won't do this in your life because I made a promise to David. So it's going to be your son that's going to experience a split in the kingdom. And so God actually approached Jeroboam and offered him the ten tribes and actually offered to bless him if he'd be faithful. Only one problem. He wasn't really king material. And he got sneaky and crafty and he turned people away from the Lord. He didn't want people to go down to Judah and to Jerusalem to worship God there because they might decide they like it and they wouldn't come back or they would overthrow him and want to be united again. And he didn't want that unity. And so in his fear of that, he 
raised up false idols, false gods for the northern tribes to worship and brought much grief upon the ten tribes. So we have also um, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, talks about Pharisees. Woe to them. Jesus said they sit in, in Moses' seat, so do what they say, but don't do what they do. So hypocrisy in religious leadership. That, that shouldn't be. And then he goes on to tell the story, because right as he's teaching, a guy interrupts him and says, my brother's not being fair to me. Tell him to share the estate. And, 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 and Jesus said to him rightfully, who made me a, a judge over you? You're asking me to handle matters. I'm not here for that. So he told a story, and I can just picture this guy turning red and backing up and backing up and backing up. A man who was very wealthy and prosperous. He had so much he harvested that his barns were too full. He couldn't hold anymore. And instead of saying, hey, I have enough. I ought to look at how I can help the poor or do other good with this abundance. He says, nope, I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And I'm going to stock up so much that I'll never have to work again. And I can tell my soul, oh, take it easy, soul. You have much goods laid up for many years. You're just fine. You got all your insurance. You got all your, all your ducks in a row. You got your stocks and your bonds and, and, and all this. And the Lord said to him that night, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall be, who shall be those things that you have laid up? And Jesus said, so is everyone who is rich in this life, but not rich towards God. Okay? Inequities. People who hoard, people who prosper, who aren't skillful. Um, I'll look at my notes here a second. They're unqualified, they're undeserving, they're unfaithful, they're dishonest, etc., etc. They gain position, power, wealth. And somehow in God's sovereign design, he's using these things for his greater purposes. Therefore, we just don't have time to freak out. You know? That's not a very good Hebrew word or anything, but we shouldn't fume. Uh, Psalm 37 says we, we, we shouldn't fret. Fret doesn't mean worry in, in, the, in Psalm 37. It means to boil over like a pot too hot. Picture those pressure cookers when they're going, you know, making all that noise. <clears throat> We've got to trust God with the inequities of life. We need to look to him. Praying instead of grumbling. Now, there's some very important messages in Romans 13. It's going to tell you all the powers that be, all the authorities in this world, it's God's doing. That doesn't mean they're all very good. Many are very bad. There's been good and bad. God and his greater purposes is working all things out. So we have a certain submission to God about this. And I've talked about the subject before, back, back around July 4th, about how you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God. And it makes it, we have to do some thinking and application about this whole subject. But the fact is, fuming and ranting, I say it often, we don't have time to hate people or fear them. We need to fear the Lord and we don't have to fear anybody else. Instead of hating people, we got to love them into the kingdom because they're in great danger. They're a soul. Nobody thought Saul was coming along and, and he became Paul. Well, Romans 13 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. 
And some other very powerful things are said there, but at the bottom line it says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. And we need to be not sleeping, not drinking and reveling like others at night. We need to be putting on the armor of light and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We need to be in control of ourselves and look at this from the divine perspective. And uh, it's not here. It's liable to show up next week if I can. But um, Isaiah chapter 40, look at this world. The nations are like grasshoppers to God. Don't lose heart. Don't faint. Consider him. And they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Yeah, I said that last week, didn't I? I'm going to say repetition's good for us. And that's why we have a book called Proverbs with things that we should get to know so well we can quote them, but we still ponder them. James says, In chapter 4, people are fighting and lusting and desiring, ready to kill for things, and they don't have them because they don't ask. And when they do ask, King James says they ask amiss. I don't know what all the other translations say, but the Greek word there, they ask evilly, selfishly. Those things that I was talking about earlier, about things that God made in this world, but we get selfish, we get greedy. And we, if we pray like that, he will not answer us. So we're to get our, our heads on right. We're, we're, we're to not love the world. Not to want to romance the world. Not to be jealous of the world. We should pity the world. It's getting easier to do that today, folks. As I look at what people are fighting over in this world, they're not going to hang on to any of it. And if they don't watch out, they'll end up in a Christless grave and they've lost everything. Even if they could gain the whole world, it won't profit them. And so God gives, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm giving just wrap-up summaries here. Um, James 5 talks about all the greedy, dishonest employers and how they cheat their employees. And God's watching And they're heaping up riches, and it says for the last days in my Bible, and I've often thought, the big thing today is everybody's been saving their money, storing it up, they got all their 401s, and they got all their, I I can't even say all the names of things people have. And it's good to save, it's good to be prepared like the ant for the later years of your life. But when they start with this digital business, Robberies will be taking place. It will not only be a cashless society, it won't even need a gun to rob people because money is almost just a figure of speech. And when people seize control of it, they can just take it from you and use it whatever way they want. I mean, we're even talking now about what's going on in the Middle East. Our, Our nation just released money we have been holding back to Iran, and there's billions of dollars they received, and they're funding Hamas. Well, anyways, enough of that. The point is that we are told not to grumble. And, and, and here's where my mind isn't letting me quote enough here. I'm going to go to James 5 for just a second. Because when I was writing that list, James 5 was actually the first one came to my mind. James chapter 5, 
Now, in the beginning, come now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. And it says your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered. Now, I'm not going to repeat myself, but the wealth we think we have, riches have wings, they fly away. We put money into bags with holes in them, and, and the fallacy of living for money and to, 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 to beg, borrow, steal, kill, whatever, for money is so futile. But now, the believer. The believer is, is told down here in uh, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, the farmer, waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws near. Grudge not. Okay, that word grudge there. That's why I looked it back up. This means groan. You know, grudge, sometimes we just act like we're just... uh, hesitant, uh, really undesirable to let go of something or to help somebody. But, but the word means to groan at someone. And groaning is what we hear all over the place. Speaking against one another. Grudge not one against another. Groan not one against another, brethren. Lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. Now, I don't know if you remember what God said to Cain. Cain didn't offer the right offering. Cain was mad because God accepted his brother's offering. So God reasoned with him. You just do good and you'll be accepted. You'll be the big brother again. Just do what I say. But if not, it says, sin lieth at the door. Now the word lieth at the door means to crouch. This is that lion in the high grass watching the zebra. And he's crouched and ready to pounce. God's given Cain a really good warning. You keep handling this attitude you have, and it's going to, you're going to be overwhelmed with the sin that's in you. And you're going to do some terrible things. And he didn't heed that warning. He went out, he fumed, he got mad at his brother, he killed him. Well, I can't repeat the whole story. But here, it says that the judge... Standeth before the door. Now, you know what it'd be like to be a kid. And you were told to go to bed. You couldn't stay up and read all night. So you got the blanket over your head and the flashlight and the book, you know. And you hear a noise and you look and who's standing at the door? Equivalent to a judge. Maybe mom or dad. Deaf people, we go gulp. We grab like this at our throat. Gulp. We're being told... the. Our Lord is watching, and he's going to judge us by our works, not for salvation, but for reward. And, and yeah, there's things you just would like to get confessed and out of the way and be doing right. And, and grumbling and groaning and fighting and, and, and fiercely grabbing and competing with your brothers and sisters in Christ especially shouldn't be. The judge stands at the door. So, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. 
Now, there's a lot of thought there. And you, 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 know, you get a chance to go through Job, look at Job. His patience was very tried. He initially started out with fabulous-looking patience. Then his wife got after him. Then his friends got after him. And he, he started to, to fight back at them and justify himself. And pretty soon, he slipped into condemning God for what God had done in his life. And it's not fair. Now, God happily let him spill it out, make the mess that he needed to make, and then God came to him, and after firmly rebuking him, he also blessed him and brought him back. That's what God likes to do with his children. He likes to correct them. The motivation is love. The results will be good things. Punishment is not motivated by love, and it is um, aimed at enemies, and the results will not be happy. But a child of God can always know not to despise the chastening of the Lord. Because whom he loves, he chastens. And he brings about better things. And, and of course, that's, that's Hebrews 12 for you to look at, about the first 11 verses of that. But here we are. Here we are looking at these things that just don't seem right in life. It ain't fair. It ain't right. How should we look at these things? Well, we need to be still and know that he's God. And these things that I'm not going to illustrate anymore, that they listed in verses 21 and 22 and 23, uh, you, you think about them and tell me how many times you see this kind of stuff in life And maybe sometimes you've seen it in your life. Now, I have to get on to Proverbs 30. And I think I actually have time. Verses 24 through 28, the underestimated world of small things. Our view of the world must be careful not to overlook or underestimate the many little things that are in it. As a matter of fact, we may be one of those little things ourselves. So I read in verse 24. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat or their food in the summer. The conies, and we got some different words for them. They're but a feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, and by bands. The spider takes hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. So ants, you know, we have some, some memory perhaps of uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and you can read about that. But it's a basic lesson. They're busy. They're industrious. They're prepared. They're not lazy. And working together. Now, by the way, it says an ant is not strong. Well, compared to, you know, buffalo, elephants, no, they're not strong. Compared to almost anything, they don't look strong. But do you know an ant can lift 50 times its body weight? Just saying. I don't know what spiritual allegory to make out of that, but except to say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But they work together and they keep at it. And when winter comes, they're okay. Conies, rock badgers, marmots, marmots, I should pronounce correctly. They're cute little furry things that live in rocks, and they're pretty defenseless otherwise. 
The more technical name, and some of the newer translations use it as hyraxes. Now, I call them strategic. Their wisdom overcomes their weakness. They say, hey, guys, we're pretty pitiful if fox come along or wolves or even those eagles, snakes even. So let's get up in the rocks and find places where we can fortify ourselves. We can see our enemy coming. We can establish our dens. And uh, that's pretty strategic, pretty wise, isn't it? And there's a, there's a sense of, of thinking this through. What's that old saying? Don't work harder, work smarter. Locusts. The lesson from locusts. I know they're not a pleasant thing to think about because they can wipe out foliage. But here's the point. Their unity, their teamwork, cooperation. There's not one locust yelling at the billions of others saying, come on, guys, do this. They just do it. They work as one. And it makes them unstoppable. I think I can still say that. They're unstoppable. When they decide to come, well, it may not be a, a good thing for us, but you got to admire this quality. And then we come to the spider. And all my life, I've been saying spider, and I still will. But the word truly can be translated differently. So I'm going to show you the options. This is not a case of a different manuscript. That, no, this is the actual Hebrew and, and if you knew anything about Hebrew, it, one word can go so many directions. But the number one idea is the spider, by the diligent work of their hands, can go just about anywhere they want to, which includes a king's palace. You know, other people would have to be invited to come into that palace. Other people would have to barge in and make a ruckus. But a spider? I think I'm going over to see the king. I kind of like the the flavor of things around there, and, and, and there's some tasty flies and things that I like, so I'll spin my webs in the king's palace. Now, the other way to look at it, and, and I can't say this is wrong, but it, it, the, 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 the house lizard, I say house lizard because I'm not talking about a, what are those, Komodo dragons, you know. That. This is a, a smaller thing that you could hold in your hand. And um, I want you to think of the gecko. Not to be confused with Geico, the, the cute little insurance lizard, but a, an actual gecko, G-E-C-K-O, is something that you can grab with your hands. I'm warning you, the tail may come off in your hands. But they can climb walls and ceilings, and basically they're just like the spider. They, they can defy gravity. They can climb up things. They've got you know, amazing skills. So they, they often live in houses. I'm told some places they love having these lizards around because they get rid of flies and mosquitoes and stuff like that. I don't want to wake up with one in my, under my pillow. But um, <clears throat> nonetheless, they can live in houses, and that can include king's palaces. In either case, the moral of the story is this. Diligent, though small. Small and insignificant, they can overcome obstacles. So be careful when you say, I can't, because that might just be saying, I won't. You may have abilities that you, you don't recognize, you may not even want. And particularly, I, I aim that at spiritual gifts. Oh, I can never do that! And maybe you can. You haven't had the courage to seek the Lord about it. Which now just brings us down to a basic point about the small things that are exceeding wise. The world may view you as small. The world may view this church as small. The world may view all Christians in the world as small, insignificant pests. 
And what's that word I heard here a while back? Undesirables or something like that? Anyways, but does God see you as wise? We, we're, we're called fools for Christ, yet we're wise in Christ. And so let's, let's wrap it up here with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to start with verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now that's an ironic statement. That's, God's never foolish and never weak, but if he were, it'd be better than anything man can cook up in wisdom or strength. For you see your calling, brethren, verse 26, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught to nothing things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, that is God, are you in Christ, Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So, fellow ants, conies, locusts, spiders or lizards, as you choose, the world's got a lot of opinions Despicable, deplorable, weak, ignorant, foolish. Not listening. Marching to the sound of a different drummer. Blessed are the people that hear the joyful sound. They shall walk in the light of thy countenance. Psalm 89, 15. Uh, we need to take heed. Does it matter if the world calls me wise? Or does it matter if God calls me wise? You know, what do I want to hear in that last day? Boy, the world sure liked you. No. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. So um, I, I, I worked hard on this portion, and I thought I'm going to save a few more for next week. 
and some wrap-up things that I want to say about this. According to the clock, I got off easy today. But according to what I'm supposed to do with the book of Proverbs, I got a life's work ahead of me. Keep feeding on these things. The fresh things will come to your mind as fresh situations are brought into your life. And things that God teaches you here make a difference on things you're learning over there. Precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little. There a little. So let's get into the steady pace. Because your Bible is never going to say to you, enough. You don't have to study anymore. You don't have to read anymore. You already know enough. And I've had people tell me that. I've already read the Bible. I know enough. I don't need it anymore. You're too much information. I don't believe it. So may you join me in a, in a never-ending hunger for God's Word. And on the daily basis, you can be satisfied. On the eternal basis, you're satisfied. But the, there's nonetheless that need to keep feeding Keep getting his water of the word in us. And may God uh, speak to us through these little vignettes over and over. Heavenly Father, um, I'm asking you to bless what's been said. The most important part is what's been said thousands of years ago. These beautiful statements to ponder. These challenging thoughts. Riddles to our mind and heart. And yet answers that you will give as we seek you on a regular basis. We can ask and receive. We can seek and find. We can knock and it shall be opened unto us. Keep us ever coming at your door, Lord. To not just know things, but to have things in our possession of our mind, heart, and soul so that we can interpret life correctly. Interpret ourselves correctly and interpret your word correctly and apply it and be led by your spirit to do wonderful things through Christ who gives us strength. If someone here does not have that faith that they need, Lord, may they today come to you in a humble way and say, Lord, religion isn't enough. Good morals isn't enough. Hard work isn't enough. I need Jesus to... Deal with my sins and, and, and I need to know I'm truly forgiven and I have this relationship and that I'm your friend and not the world's. And by that, Lord, I need to be able to say the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Help us, Lord, and help those who need Christ today if there is one here who hasn't trusted and received Christ yet. May today be their day. So bless and use these words I ask in Christ's name. Amen.